0: Welcome to another episode of the canned Air podcast a tribute to comics and pop culture i'm randy hardenbrook and i'm very excited to uh introduce my special guest this evening uh you may know him from paul on dexter jacob on Lost, uh deputy bill standal on 13 reasons why and lucifer from supernatural or so many of his other tv and film roles uh please join me in welcoming actor mark pellegrino to the show mark thank you so much for being with us tonight
1: Hey, how are you, man? Thanks for having me.
0: Cannot wait to talk to you about your career in The Guardian Project. Uh, But before we do, just let me get a little housekeeping out of the way. Uh, For anybody listening, uh, check out FandAirPodcast.com. Listen to all our past episodes. Check out our merch page. uh, And if you're interested in being on the show, send us a uh, message and give us your info. We'll give you a call. Also, if you like what you're hearing, feel free to go to uh, our Patreon page and check out our back catalog for a few dollars a month. You can uh, get access to some really cool stuff we have going on there. So without further ado, Mark, again, thank you, man.
1: Oh, thanks for having me.
0: <laughs> so uh, with so many amazing roles over the years, uh, what, what kind of got you into acting? What started this whole journey for you?
1: Oh, wow. Um, it was, uh, I would say it was sort of luck for the most part chance a complete chance I I was never interested in acting as as a kid I saw movies just like any other kid uh, but they they didn't have any particular impact on me I wanted to be a marine biologist uh, I, I was very very um, very affected by um, the the Jacques Cousteau um, documentaries that they used to air on television and okay, okay, and, yeah. and I fell in love with the idea of scuba diving and with marine biology and and so watching Jaws as a little kid sort of cemented that into me as 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 what I wanted to do. Um, I wanted to be the Richard Dreyfus character. Okay, awesome. <laughs> but um, uh, I, uh, because of that movie, I also developed a uh, a rather irrational paranoia and fear of sharks. So. <laughs> Um, which I never quite got over. No matter how much I learned about uh, about sharks, I I still uh, couldn't quite. And even after becoming a, a, a certified diver, I couldn't couldn't quite overcome that that fear of them. And in, in college, I became more interested in history and psychology, and and then for various reasons had dropped out of college and was drifting for a bit. And uh, just by chance, saw an advertisement for a, a, a modeling school. A really Silly modeling school that was giving away a bunch of classes for free, and since I I wasn't doing anything and had no real goal in my life, I thought I should try that, and I did. And I took a commercial workshop class for free. That teacher set thought I was uh, pretty good for some reason, set me up with an agent, and from there I started working. And then and then my agent set me up with a, a theater company there where I actually learned craft and and began to understand what acting. Really was, and began to develop a passion for it, and and I eventually started teaching there.
0: Yeah, yeah, and uh, you teach classes and seminars there now, correct?
1: Right. I usually I taught I taught it. It's called Playhouse West. I taught there for about seventeen years, and teaching teaching and going to class was basically me going to class and working on stage, doing plays and teaching, and then going away to work and then coming back and and having a constant home base where I could continue to. Hone my acting skills and uh, and 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 eliminate my acting problems as best I could, but I, I haven't taught there since about 2014. Since then, my wife and I have gone overseas and we teach we teach seminars overseas at other acting schools.
0: That's so awesome! And I've always heard that, you know, when you're working in your craft, the best way to kind of learn and develop yourself is also by teaching. Do you feel that's true in your case,
1: or it could be? It could be. Um, I noticed for a while that teaching made me self-conscious. At at some points, it made me self-conscious about being a representative of the work, so I couldn't quite be as in the moment as I'd like to be. And other times, it made me aware of what I was doing in a way that I wasn't before, and it it took a while to work out those kinks. But definitely, teaching helps you to articulate to others' uh, meanings and, and... and and to over time simplify your articulation process so that it becomes clearer and clearer to you and, and becomes just more of a part of your unconscious process. So um now when I teach with Tracy, my wife, over overseas, I work and teach. So I'm up there with the actors and I'm playing with them and I'm doing scenes with them and improvisations and repetition exercises. So I mean, my my self-consciousness about working and teaching went away a long, a long time ago, but um it was only because teaching focused me so much on the problem that I forgot about, you know, all the other crap that goes along with acting.
0: <laughs> Understood, okay. With so many great roles over the years, did you have any that, you you know, you were super excited about in the moment or any that kind of like stood out to you as being your favorites or?
1: <clears throat> yeah, I mean, one of my favorite parts was on a, a show called The Closer. I played, I think, uh, eight, episode arc of a character uh, by the name of Gavin Q. Baker III. And uh, he was uh, Kira Sedgwick's uh, defense attorney. I guess she was a rabble rouser on the show and always in some kind of trouble. And she was sort of the alpha of the show. And I was the only character in the entire course of the show that ever put her in her place. So I was a flamboyantly gay... Um, man in the show and that was exciting to play a to play a powerful flamboyantly gay man i I also got to wear some of the best wardrobe i have ever worn in my life we're talking ten thousand dollar suits oh wow um, cartier rings uh antique brooches every week i had some new beautiful piece of stylistic couture on me you know and and uh, it was a delight for the for the wardrobe artists to work with me to come up with all these really cool real cool uh, articles of clothing i mean (laughs) gavin had great taste and uh that was that was one of my favorite parts i also really enjoyed season four of being human because the character bishop that i played it was an alternate universe so it was a completely different character and the style of season four was cinema verite so it was very improvisational Okay. And so it just felt free and like you could really explore your part and the other actor and you didn't feel bound by any of the constrictions of, "oh, I have to say dialogue. It, it just all sort of went out the window in a, in a very positive way. So I really, I really enjoyed that. Um, there's probably a ton of other experiences too I could come up with, but I'd have to think about them for a while.
0: That's fine, sorry for putting you on the spot. <laughs>
1: nope, all good.
0: Well, the main reason uh, we're having you on is I, I want to hear more about the Guardian Project. So this is a project uh, that you have partnered with attorney Andrew Rosso, uh, which is a reality docu-series, correct?
1: Yes, that's the idea. Yeah. And we, we had it on Kickstarter um, and it got fully funded.
0: Congratulations! Thank you glad. very
1: much. Yeah, yeah, I'm very happy about that. I didn't think we were going to do it, but a couple of donors, maybe even one, I don't know who, came through at the end and put us over the top. I owe Rick Repetti and uh, Mark Gleason a, a debt of thanks to that because uh, their their show level to power I think really put it out there in their community and it and it really helped us. So the Guardian Project, yeah, that. Here, here's, here's how to sort of, it's, it all started. I, I've been bullied in successive waves by people. And I, by bullying, I don't mean, you know, people calling me names and using harsh language with me. I mean, people taking my tweets out of context and, and trying to create false narratives. And then once that narrative is sort of viralized, they use that as a weapon to try to um, harm me.
0: Okay.
1: So, to, so they will they'll attach social media influencers, employers, media outlets, and other actors to this false narrative to try to destroy my reputation and get me fired from jobs. And they've tried to get me fired from my convention circuit, from Supernatural, from you name it. Every job I've had, they try to get me fired from. <clears throat> so um, when I was experiencing the last wave, a group of fans sort of uh, circled the wagons around me. And they started, even though all of the narratives have been disproven, I just want to say that out, outright. Um, they're all false. They've all been disproven a million times. It does, right. doesn't kill them. This group circled around me as I was defending my reputation and being hoarded and, and, and overwhelmed. Uh, and they just started throwing out the evidence and shutting these people down with evidence and reason. And uh, in direct messages, I, I was joking with, uh, with one, of the, one of the main people whose name is Estella online and uh, Arch Luminous. And uh, I, we joked that she was my bodyguard. And uh, and then she developed the concept of the guardians, which started out as sort of this ad hoc group of people who put the guardians in their profile, you know, the devil and uh, angel emoji. And then they, they go out and they protect people if they see p- people being bullied. Because, you know, the bullies like to isolate you, make you feel alone. And it's, it's, it's actually helpful to feel like there's life preservers out there, people around you who are just gonna at least surround you and let you know that you're okay. And then um, after uh, Andrew, Andrew asked me to do a little piece for him for his Cyberbyte, uh website, anti-bullying website, from, and I, which I did, and from there, he asked me for an interview and we, we found out through the interview that we just had a lot in common. Not Not in yeah. years, but just the way we grew up and the way we experienced life was very, very similar, even though there's 20 some odd years between us. And since we both had an equally harsh taste in our mouths about bullies and online bullying, we decided to pull our forces together. And I said, you know, I've been thinking about a, a reality show like a catfish, where, where you, you take away the anonymity of the victimizer and, and, and the victim. And you bring them together and, and you see what happens. Uh, and sometimes there can be real growth on the part of the victim and and real a real sense of closure, on the, a real growth on the part of the victimizer and a real sense of closure on the part of the victim. And I said, and, and what if we even went further? And in some cases where there's objective damages, we're able to surround the victim with the psychological help, legal help to help sort of reconstitute their lives and make this a part of a reality show. And he thought it was a great idea. We pitched it to a producer who also thought it was a great idea, who has a bunch of connections with many networks. And so what we raised the money for was the pitch deck so that we could go into these networks and and try to get this show off the ground. And that's where we stand now.
0: Um, and what are kind of like your overarching goals after getting this uh, going? Is it just going to be the kind of self-contained docu-series? Or are you hoping it kind of spins off uh, for more than that or?
1: Well, the docu-series we're hoping we're, we, we have a lot of sort of tiers in our, in our idea here. The docu-series is one, but okay. we also have, we also have the raw nerve, which will be a site where we hope to team up with, um, uh, mental health professionals uh, and mental health apps, which we're sort of in the process of teaming up with, where people who have been bullied can go to, to seek help very cheaply or support systems through the raw nerve where they can where they can get help um, on the cheap or for for free. We also want to um, start the discussion within social media companies about the concept. Of anonymity itself, how it facilitates some of these, some of this relational aggression, and how it makes makes this kind of violence on the internet easier, and a way of dealing with that. And one of the, one of our one of our solutions is a sort of universal verification, whereby uh, some people the, the the enemies of our of our product have called it doxing, but it's not that. It's it's just your identity is tied to your handle. So that you can't go around and make fifty different accounts, stock accounts, sure, and attack sure. from fifty different angles. Once you're on here, you are who you are, and hopefully that identity and the record of that identity can be shared across social media lines. So that if if you are really uh, wreaking havoc in one area, that will uh, that will affect across uh, have reverberations across social media, uh, all the social media spheres. So that you know. If you're banned on one, you, you could be put on warning on another, so that a ban could be a real ban, not just this thing where you're, you're you're taken off, but you can come on in a different identity and still right. continue, still continue to do what you do. That said, we also need to work with uh, social media companies to to develop uh, objective standards of evaluating what is speech, proper speech, and what isn't. I think, I don't know much about it, but it seems that they have algorithms that decide what should, what should be watched and what shouldn't, what should be booted, deplatformed, and what shouldn't. These algorithms, I imagine, are informed by linguistic, normative linguistic takes, uh, that that it wind up being prejudicial, and I think they wind up alienating a large portion of the population. And from my view, when somebody like Dave Rubin, a, a liberal a gay married man who has a social media platform is deplatformed or demonetized, but the Ayatollah Khomeini can, can still keep a verified Twitter account where he denies the Holocaust and urges people to murder Jews, um, there's something wrong with your standards of evaluation there. So I think right. the simple standard is, is libel, slander, and force or violence. I mean, those are the things that aren't permitted, right? You can say anything else. You can even be a dick, um, but you can't lie about people. Right. And you can't, you can't try to destroy reputations based on lies. And if that's your standard, then you know, maybe Hamas won't have a platform. The Ayatollah Khomeini, North Korean government won't have a platform. Let's they, those folks should be deplatformed.
0: Right, right.
1: Uh, the, the Chinese Communist Party probably shouldn't have a platform. If you have concentration camps with uh, Uyghurs and 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 uh, enemies of the state who are in forced labor and you're harvesting their organs, I don't think you should have a Twitter platform.
0: <laughs> agreed. Agreed.
1: Mm-hmm. So if they if those standards were applied universally um I think it would be much easier to weed take the wheat from the chaff and figure out what's what's real and what isn't what's bad and what's good and I think it would put Twitter and uh Facebook on in the good graces of at least half the population who feels completely persecuted by by them because they are on they're in the right tribe and they feel like the left tribe controls the uh the media and, uh, and it's causing increasing polarization. Well, if you have objective standards and there's nothing for the right tribe to complain about, is there?
0: Right, right. It's just an even playing field.
1: Right. For real. So I also, um, I also think, I mean, I throw this by you. I mean, it's more of a, it's sort of a question and a statement at the same time. Okay. I, I feel like, you know, we're out of the era of establishment media, right? I mean, mm-hmm. uh, social media has changed the way in which we, we, peruse news, in which we seek news, in which information is transmitted from one person to another. It's no longer vetted through an establishment. So in my opinion, individuals, when they're passing on false narratives, become journalists in a way, They're because they're passing on news. Right. And and I think they should be held accountable in the same way that somebody in the Inquirer is when they write some false thing about a celebrity somewhere, they should be subjected to the same types of uh, libel and slander laws that those people are.
0: Sure. I mean, if, if Facebook user has <laughs> 5,000 friends or whatever the max is, and they post something and even half that never sees that, and it's hasn't been verified or whatever, I mean, yeah, that's just as damaging as a local paper.
1: Sure. I think so. Yeah, so we no. want to we want to reform all that. We want to somehow get in there and get our get our hands dirty in those areas.
0: So now that the Kickstarter has been fully funded, and you're kind of you're pitching it to the networks, is that kind of what the stage? is? Well, what's having? gonna
1: what well what's gonna happen now is we have to make sure the contract with the producer is sound, and uh, and then I have to you know work on uh, giving the the perks back to the people who. Uh, who paid into the program, and then we have to then uh, there, our producer uh, Zach has to go out there and start working on that. So uh, he has he has six months to to get it to get it done, and so that's the time frame in which we're looking to get the, the show up.
0: Okay, I. For any of our listeners that are interested in kind of helping now that the uh, the Kickstarter has ended, is there anything we can kind of do until uh, you know this gets farther along, or how can they help you guys out?
1: I'm not sure yet. Uh, you know, other other than if you if you think you have objective standards of good and bad, then put the Guardian in your profile at least as a support. You know, the devil emoji, the Guardian, and then the angel emoji. Okay. And at least as a show of support for the idea of internet hygiene and, and civil debate, or I don't even think civil debate. I like rough debate. I like rough talking. But you know, if you're against slander and, and violence and relational aggression online, then you can put that in your profile page. And, and it's like the Batman sign up in the sky, right? Yeah,
0: absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And where can, uh, at this point, where can people kind of keep an eye out for updates and kind of what's, what's next?
1: You can always go to my Twitter, which is Mark R. Pellegrino. Um, I got the rainbow flag there in the background and, and, uh, or, or my Instagram, uh, if you want to see pictures of my, my two dogs and my cat, um, that's uh, Mark Ross Pelle, M-A-R-K-R-O-S-S-P-E-L-L-E.
0: Okay, and we'll, we'll include those links when this episode drops. Yeah, really, really excited to kind of see how this goes and kind of keep our eyes on it as well. Just if you don't mind, one question I kind of ask every actor that we have on the show is, you know, what advice would you have for upcoming actors and actresses with, all, with your, you know, extensive career?
1: I mean, your, your acting career is like any other life skill and any other aspect of life. It's not a sprint. It is a marathon and you have to treat it that way Um, you have to treat acting like it's a job even when it's not what you're getting paid for and so that means you should compare yourself to other professionals in other fields and ask yourself am i doing what that professional i admire is is doing and if i'm not then i'm not doing enough for example if you're if you're flying in an airplane and you know that that commercial air air pilot had to go through so many hours of training to to um, fly as capably as they are. Ask yourself, am I doing what that guy did or that girl did uh, to be an actor, be, to be good at my craft? No? Okay, then I need to get out there and do that. So uh, one, it's a craft. And uh, two, you should, uh, you should content yourself uh, with not making money. You should get into it for the sole purpose of the spiritual uh, journey that it really is and for the the process, not for the result. So treat it like a craft. It's a lifelong endeavor. It takes 20 years to be an actor, so Sanford Meisner said. And you uh, know, whatever the last thing was I said, I forgot. But you, you got it.
0: Gotcha, OK. Well, Mark, again, man, thank you so much for joining us this evening. And uh, like I said, really excited to kind of see where the uh, Guardian project goes from here. And uh, looking forward to that docu-series when it comes out.
1: Me too. <laughs>
0: Well, uh, I think that'll about do it for this evening. So until next time, I'm Randy Hardenbrook. And I'm Mark Pellegrino. Thanks, everyone.
1: Hey, what are you doing out here? I thought you were grounded. My parents are mean, so I'm running away from home. Where are you going to go? I don't know yet, but that'll show them. (laughs) It sure will. Shipwreck! Parents just don't understand. And it gets lonely on the road, so be sure to listen to the Canned Air podcast. Now we know. And knowing is half the battle.
0: G.I. Joe!
1: This has been a Canned Air production.